I was the foreman in my 10th grade shop class, and one of that meant that basically I just walked around with a clipboard, making sure everybody else was doing what they were supposed to do. And so what happens is, is that everybody has a different job uh, in shop class, so somebody's job is to sweep the floor, somebody's job is to take out the garbage, somebody's job is to put the tools away, uh, and uh, that sort of thing. And there was this kid named Jay. His, his job was to take, because we all had these tables and we sat on these stools, and so uh, his job was to take the stools and to flip them over and put them on top of uh, the, the tables. And then the next class would come in, take the chairs, turn. I don't really know why they would do that. But anyway, that was his job. Well, one day I'm walking around checking things off my clipboard, making things, making sure everything's clean and ready for the next class. When he, I see that, the, that he's not turning the, tab- the, the chairs where they're supposed to be. So I walk over to Jay and I said, hey, man, what's going on? Um, can you just go ahead and get the chairs done so we can all go. And then he says some words to me that unfortunately I can't repeat in church. And um, so that kind of took me back a little bit. So I in turn repeated some words to him that I cannot repeat in church. And so after I said what I said to him, he said, well, why don't we, you know, fight over it essentially? And I said, well, okay, if that's really what you want. He said, well, after class, let's meet in the parking lot. Now, the shop class that I had was, it was in a separate building to the main high school building. So there was a shop, it was the shop, and then there was this uh, marine mechanics class that was there too. So it was those two classes in this separate building, and then that was, then you, so you have to walk through this parking lot to then get back into the main school building. So he's like, well, let's, I'll meet you out there after class, and then we'll, you know, we'll duke it out. So I said, hey, that sounds great. I'd be happy to destroy you. And so I'm just in that kind of mood. So anyway, we get done with, uh, I, I end up turning all the chairs and finishing it myself. And then we come out, right? And I see him, and everybody now knows this. There's like the 30 kids that are in my shop class. Another 30 guys are in the uh, marine mechanics class. There's about 50, 60 people out there waiting for me to fight this kid. So I walk into the the crowd, you know, and I walk up, and he's like, you know, so you still want to fight? And I say, I don't know, do you still want to fight? You know, kind of like the typical high school fight thing. And so, and I said, yeah, let's go ahead and fight. And right when I said that, he just clean clocks me right in the face, right? And that kind of upset me. And uh, so I proceeded to just absolutely destroy this kid. I've only been in like one major fist fight, blowout fight in my life, and that was it. And um, now here's the funny part. Now what's weird is is that I like whooped this kid's butt so bad he never showed back up to class again. And that's interesting because like, like just hoping like, man, if I show up, it might be a repeat performance. So he didn't want to come back and kind of experience that all again. And... um, the funny part to me of the whole thing is that the marine mechanics teacher, he was in the crowd watching the fight go on. And he only broke it up when I took Jay's head and started smashing it up against his van. And so then once I started like denting his van, the, uh, the, the, the teacher comes up, hey, hey, we got to stop this. This is not right. You know, but before then he was like, you know, popping popcorn or something, you know, watching this thing go on. And so... Uh, we get this whole thing, and this is the thing that, that, that's, that's amazing to me, is that what Jay, here's what Jay didn't know, is that I had been taking, you know, I'd been like in karate for years before that, and I was like inches away from getting my black belt, and uh, like that would have been good information for him to know beforehand. You know, he probably would have put the chairs up if he knew that. And uh, so, now let me, fa- and, you know, if you don't know like karate or kung fu, you know, you can always take the James Brown approach. To quote a James Brown song, I don't know karate, but I do know crazy. So you can always you can always take that approach. So anyway, I um, 
I bet you it's the first time you ever heard James Brown quoted in church. You say, well, I feel good about that. I knew that you would. Um, so, all right, we're going to stop right there. Um, so let me fast forward to you, same grade, 10th grade. Let me fast forward to you about six months. I'm talking with a friend of mine. And as I'm talking with him, uh, we get into a disagreement. He says something to me, and then I say something to him, and he says something to me, and I say something to him, and the argument now begins to escalate. The argument now begins to escalate to a point that I turn to him and I say something to him, and I don't remember exactly what it was, to be quite honest, but I say something to him that from that moment forward, we cease to be friends and we never speak again throughout high school. And here's the thing that he didn't know, that I didn't know at the time, that I know now, and I bet you know it as well, is that you've probably never taken a class, but all of us, that our mouth, our tongue, we have a black belt in that as well. You see, there's words that we've spoken to people that have wounded them deeply. And here's what I can bet, is that there's words that people have spoken to us that have wounded us deeply as well. And see, all of us, it's amazing to me the power of this mouth, this tongue, these words that we use. That we have the opportunity, when we use them in in the wrong way, to inflict tremendous pain on a person. And yet at the same time, we can take the same mouth from the same person using different words and, and, and do something completely different and encourage people who are discouraged and help people who are having problems and speak something that propels someone to take a different trajectory in their life and all coming from the same mouth. It's an amazing thing, the power of words, the power of the tongue, the power of our mouths to do something amazing, either to build up, to tear down. To rise up or to destroy. You see, in the book of James, chapter 3, this is what he says. He says, when we put bits in the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder where the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the course of his life on fire, and it is set on fire by hell. I want you to let that just kind of soak and sit for a moment, if you would. As you think about that, I want to tell you that we've been in this series for the last few weeks called Vintage Wisdom. As we've been exploring the major themes of the book of Proverbs written by King Solomon over 3,000 years ago. And the thing that's amazing to me, and today obviously we're talking about the power of the tongue, the power of words. And here's what I know about each of us, is that we could actually start on this side of the room and work our way all the way across. And all of us would have one, two, three, or ten stories to tell just answering this question. Has, have you ever gotten yourself in trouble with the words that you've used? Oh, man, let me tell you, would you like that chronicled by year, by category, by topic? We have plenty of stories to tell. We could start on this side of the room, and we would have other stories to tell, and here's what it would be. We could say this. uh, Do you have any stories where you have actually encouraged someone, helped someone, and, and turned something around in someone's life simply by words that you used? And all of us would be able to say, yeah, I've, I've, I've done that too. And so it's amazing to me the power that words have in a person's life, that they have the ability to do tremendous good, at the same time have the ability to do tremendous evil. And so the key is this. 
The key is that what you and I need to do is so important is we need to learn to steward our mouth well. Steward our tongue well. Steward our words well and use it to build up and not to tear down. And so as I was looking and reading through the book of Proverbs, I was trying to find like the key themes that the Bible talks about, that Proverbs talks about when it comes to the power of our words. Like, what are the activities that we should be involved in when it comes to the words that we speak? The overarching principles that that we need to live by. And I I found essentially four that were so important for us. So I want to invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 15 in your Bibles and take out those message notes that you have because there's going to be some writing that I want you to do. But it's going to be Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. And this is where we're going to begin. He says this, Solomon writes, he says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, I, I want to maybe say it this way to you in your notes, if, you, if you're taking notes, is this. Think before you speak. Think before you speak. And it, it, it's, it's simply this. Before you open your mouth, think about what it is that's going to come out. Because we have this promise, this proverb that says that a harsh word stirs up strife, but a gentle word can turn away wrath. So the words in which we speak, if we think about it before they come out, they can actually turn things for the good as opposed to making a bad situation worse. A few years ago, Pastor Mark and I were visiting uh, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, who they had just had baby number two. So we went over to their house and we're, you know, sitting with them, having a good time. And uh, for whatever reason, the conversation of milk comes up and and the guy who just had his second baby was talking about how... Um, kids drink whole milk for, you know, the fats and all that stuff. And so we're having this conversation about, you know, whole milk, 2% milk, 1% milk, skim milk, um, all that. And anything like 1% or, you know, skim milk is basically just like cloudy water. Um, I'm a 2% guy myself, just in case you ever want to buy me milk for my birthday or something. Um, but, you know, I just can't, I can't stomach skim milk or whatever. But so we're having this conversation and so we're talking about how kids drink whole milk or whatever. Well, well, Pastor Mark gets up and he opens up this person's fridge. Now, we know him well enough to where that's like not a weird thing. You know, I'm like, what are you doing? No, but, you know, we know him well enough. So he opens up the fridge and he sees like a bunch of bottles lined up that had, that had milk in them. And so, um, so Mark was talking about how he loves whole milk and whatever. And so he grabs one of the bottles and goes to squeeze it and just like squirt himself, you know, like, uh, you know, a mouthful of milk. And before he does... My friend and I, we both go, no, don't, you know, you ever just, don't do it, you know, like that. And, he's like, and he says to me, he says, bro, it's okay. He squirts it in his mouth. And I, and then I have to tell him like, hey, by the way, that was breast milk. Um, we were all a lot closer after that moment. And, uh, and, the, and that's why I tell you the moral of the story is you've got to think before you open your mouth. Uh, what comes in or comes out. And, uh, you know, and listen, the verse is telling us this. And this is what's so important. It's telling us that, listen, the words that we use can either make a situation better or it can make a turn for the worse. You know, because if a, a, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word makes a bad situation worse. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3, it's in your notes. It says, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. A couple of years ago, I was driving, and uh, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'll tell you where I was exactly. I was on Pines Boulevard, and I'm driving west. And so this was, um, I'm kind of getting close to I-75. You know there's that plaza right near there where there's, um, there's like a VJ's there, there's a gas station, there's 
like macaroni grill, chilies, like that whole plaza you kind of follow. So I'm in the middle lane and I realize that I'm supposed to turn there. And so I, I said, man, I got I to make this light. And so I just gun it all the way across from the middle lane all the way to the turn lane. Well, in the process, I completely cut this guy off. I mean, like cut him off bad. And, 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 and like, you know, it's a weird thing. Because I was just, I was in Atlanta for this, for part of this week, um, uh, at a, at a conference, and, um, somebody cut us off real bad. Like, cut us off real bad. And you know, the thing is, like, when you're on the highway and somebody cuts you off, they can just offer the wave. And you know about the wave. The wave is the symbol that covers all sins and forgives all sins on the highway. You can do whatever you want on the highway as long as you do this. You're all set. You're all set. And so this person cut us off so bad, and I was like, yeah, what are you doing, you know? And then they just go, and I was like, can't say anything now. They did the wave. And if the wave absolves them of all responsibility. Well, now, it's okay when you're out of town and you're on, or you're on the highway. Someone offers the wave, you offer the wave, because you're never going to see that person again. Well, I cut this guy off really bad, and then the light turns red. And he pulls up next to me. And then he rolls down the window. And he starts shouting obscenities at me. And you know how, like, if you ever cut somebody off, even if they're not, um, like, shouting obscenities or whatever, and then, like, what do you do? That is, like, the most awkward moment ever. And so you're like, hey, what is in my glove box anyway? You know, hey, what's, the, what's up with that? You know, a shoe? How'd that get in there? And you're just kind of fiddling around, like, how does that radio work? Let me adjust the seat, you know. So you're just trying to, you're like doing all this stuff. You're popping the hood by accident. I mean, you're just trying to do anything to keep from looking left. And so sure enough, after this guy rolls on, and I just hear him shouting. I hear him saying things about my mom. He's saying all this stuff. And I'm like, at some point, I'm going to have to turn. So I'm like, I kind of compose myself. I roll down the window and he just starts like, you know, just goes for it. And, and I just listen and, and I say to him and I, I say, Man, you're right. I'm sorry. I totally cut you off, and I'm really sorry. Well, he, he is like, let me tell you, no, 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 no. And he's like, no, 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 don't say I'm sorry, because I want to fight, you know, essentially. So he starts, he doesn't say that, but he just starts, keeps going, and then he kind of gives me another wave of stuff about, like, my ancestry and family and all this stuff. And, 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 I, and I say, man, I, I totally cut you off, and I'm really sorry. Uh, you're, you're totally right. I'm totally wrong. Uh, you, you're got your driver's license out of a Cracker Jack box, you know, whatever. And uh, listen, uh, you're totally right. I'm, I'm so, I'm sorry. And mind you, that if, after like three or four times, it was getting a little bit harder to say sorry. Um, and and cause if, but I knew that if I said something, he was going to get out of his car and I was going to get out of my car. And then, like, his NBC6 is pretty close. The headline was going to be, Pastor Beats Down Guy in the Middle of the Street. News at 11, because if I got out of my car, I can assure you I was going to win. Um, so anyway, so we have this. So all of this goes on, right? And um, I just keep saying, listen, you're, you're right, man. I'm sorry. Well, he gets so frustrated that I just keep saying sorry that finally he's... And mind you, the, the other thing I'm thinking is, how long is this light? You know, and uh, you know, right there, like Century Village is right there. And Lord knows those people aren't in a hurry. And... Uh, so I'm like trying to make this thing go, and so this is all happening, and I'm like, when is this thing going to turn around? And so I keep apologizing, hoping that like at some point I'm just going to be able to drive off into the sunset of my life, and he, I'll never see him again. Well, I keep saying that, and then finally, after like four or five times, like, man, you're absolutely right, I'm sorry. He gets so frustrated, he's like, well, 
All right, man, drive safe. And he just turns around and he rolls up his window. It's like, what is he going to say? You know, you can't argue with nice. And, and, and that's the thing that, that's so funny. And, and the, listen, this is so true, like in every area of life, that a harsh, that a gentle word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up strife. You see, if you're married, and, um, you, you, and, and you've been married for any length of time, and when I say any length of time, I mean like 45 minutes or more, um, you know, right, you know like how to push the other person's buttons. You know exactly what angers them. You know how to say something in a certain way that just really drives them absolutely crazy. And so what, what happens is, is that now you have that, you have like that power. And so you say, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to cause more strife in this situation or am I going to diffuse it? Now, let me tell you what I don't mean by this. What I don't mean by this is, when, is that we think this. Well, what, that, what, what, what Pastor Bob is saying is, is that we eliminate all conflict. No, I, 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 that's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is, is that you know the difference between having a disagreement and talking it out and just having an all-out um, war of words. And what we need to do is make sure that we don't get involved in wars, of, wars with words because those don't come to any good resolution. You know, throughout the Bible, the Bible talks about how to actually um, deal with conflict because conflict is a good thing. Conflict is a good thing because when we have a disagreement and we talk through it, we both grow in our relationship, we grow in our love for one another, we grow in our dependence and leniency on God, and then we're able now to, to, to grow spiritually because of that. And we'll spend a little bit of time talking about that a little bit more in a few minutes. But that's the important thing. But listen, and here's a, here's a key point for us to understand. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers. What he did not say is blessed are the peacekeepers. And so sometimes there's this idea, well, if I'm a Christian, there can never be any conflict because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Yes, but he didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. So if there is a problem, then we have the opportunity, and I believe the responsibility, to talk out, to say, hey, this is what's, what's happening. Can we really work our way through this? And so we take now the conflict and we turn it into something constructive that now builds up our relationship. You see, the Bible tells us this in Proverbs 29.20. It's in your notes. It says there's more hope for a fool than someone who speaks without thinking. What we need to do is be careful to think before we speak. Because, listen, relationships can be irreparably damaged because of the words in which we speak. You get into an argument, and he says something, and then she says something, and then he says something, and she says something, and then one of you says something incredibly hurtful. And then afterwards, when you've calmed down, you say, hey, I'm sorry about that, I didn't really mean it. And we think that that's like a giant relational eraser, and it's not. Because when you can't unsay something that you've said. You say, oh, well, I didn't really mean that. Well, you probably did. What you really mean to say is, I regret saying that. And so instead of having the regrets of saying it, maybe the better thing is, is to think before we speak. The Bible tells us in Proverbs fifteen twenty eight, the heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. So here's what I want to do with each of these points is I want to give you an opportunity to evaluate yourself and see where you are in, in this. So on a scale of 1 to 10, do you think before you speak? If you always think before you speak, give yourself a 10. If you suffer from like foot and mouth disease, uh, give yourself maybe a 1 or a negative 4 or whatever. But find out, maybe some of us are somewhere in between. But figure out where it is that you're starting from and say, God, help me as I, as I begin to work my way uh, through this. Now look at, I want you to look at verse 2 of Proverbs 15 because that's where we see... The second major principle. And it's this. It says, The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Let me read that to you again. It says, The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, 
but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. So let me give you the second point, and that is this. Be smart with your words. Be smart with your words. You see, sometimes people create problems because they aren't using the right word at the right time. They're just not using words wisely. You see, let me give you an example. Your wife comes in and she's upset. And here's what you, you, you sometimes will say as guys. We'll say this. What's wrong with you? Now, I appreciate what you're saying, but it's just not the way to say it. You may want to say this, honey. What's troubling you? Now, think about that. What's wrong with you indicates like you've got a problem and deal with it because I don't want to deal with it. What's troubling you says what externally is happening that would cause this lovely flower to be agitated and how may I help to create peace in your life? Similar words, but a totally different connotation. In, in Proverbs uh, chapter 12, verse 18, it says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You see, sometimes when we're sloppy with our words, it can cause more problems than it does help. You see, the key is this, is sometimes it's just not, sometimes it's not even using words. Sometimes our presence can actually be louder than words. Um, as a pastor for a lot of years now, uh, I've officiated, you know, I don't know, hundreds of funerals um, and memorial services. And one of the things that happens is a lot of times people don't know what to say. Especially if there's a fr- they're a friend of the family and they're like, well, what do I say? And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, people say like things that I know that they mean well, but they don't realize how hurtful it actually is when they're saying it. Even Christian people. Like they'll come up to them and someone is grieving the loss of a friend or a loved one and, and they'll say this like, hey, don't cry, don't be sad. They're in heaven. So they're way better off. And so, you know, and, and, and what they... And, and the thing is this, is that they don't realize that what's happening is like, well, I understand what you're saying. I know that this person maybe was sick and now that they're, they're whole and they're healed, they're in the presence of Jesus, they're experiencing eternity and all of that. I understand that, but you've got to understand too that the pain that they're feeling is real. And so sometimes just saying, hey, listen, I'm really sorry for your loss. I want you to know that I love you and I'm praying for you. Listen, sometimes a simple phrase like that can go even, uh, go, can go even further. Um, Sometimes even saying nothing can, can, go, can go further as, because we're, being, we're using our words wisely. Um, there's this ancient Jewish practice that's called sitting shiva, and what the, uh, S-H-I-V-A. And what that, what that means is, is that it's this, it was this ancient Jewish practice that when someone loses a loved one, that you would, their closest friends or maybe family members would come and sit with them for seven days and not say a word. Speak if, only if, if the person wanted to talk, but they would cry with them and laugh with them and remember with them, but just be there for them. In fact, in, in the book of Job, it, it talks about this. And if you want to jot this down, it's Job 2, verses 11 to 13, where they talk about this. And if you know the story of Job, you know that Job loses everything. He loses um, his, his business, his livelihood. He loses his kids. He loses his health. And I mean, he's just, I mean, just everything is gone. Everything is gone in his life. And he's sitting on the ashes of, of, of what once was his life. And, and the Bible says, says this in, um, in Job chapter 2, in the, the passage that I mentioned. It says, Now when Job's three friends had heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. Uh, 
For they made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And they raised their, when they raised their eyes from afar, they did not even recognize him. And they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head towards heaven. And so when they sat down with him on the ground seven days, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now that's powerful because sometimes, this is what's so amazing, is that sometimes not saying anything is even more powerful than saying something. And you know that this idea of using the right words uh, is so important, of being smart with our words is so important, and that it's one of these principles that cuts across every area of our lives. In your business, in your work, in your career, that saying the right word is sometimes the difference between promotion and getting passed over. Saying the wrong word, if you're dating someone, is the difference between getting date number two or them saying, you know, hey, I can't because I'm going to wash my hair. You know, or or, or something to to that effect. In friendships, in in that regard, it's the difference between friendships growing closer or friends growing apart. I had a friend named Mike that lived next door to me when I was growing up in Brockton, Massachusetts. And um, he, we were about 13 at the time. We were pretty good friends. Um, and one of the things that we, uh, he, we were both 13 at the time, and he got this girlfriend that was 16, and 16 meant that she had a car. And so he was very, very excited. Now, to describe her to you, let's just say that she is a person that did not need a costume for Halloween because she was that scary looking. Um, and so I just kind of give you that as, as a mental picture. But, I mean, and she was, you know, rough and um and (laughs) just to put it mildly and so after a couple of months they broke up well mike and myself and my my older stepbrother who's three years older than me um we were all at mike's house which was next door and so we're sitting there and he's you know he's you know hurt because he dated this girl for a couple months and then they broke up and and so he um he's kind of talking about it and i decide that because i am very smart with my words I say to him, I'm like, dude, she was ugly anyway. Uh, and, and, and so, and you know, like right at that moment, my stepbrother heard me saying the words coming out of my mouth. And it's like, you know, you ever see like life happening in slow motion? But he's like, no. You know, he's trying to cover my mouth as all this is happening. And, and I didn't realize what was happening. I'm like, listen, it's no big deal. It's the truth. Everybody knows. You know, if you've seen her, you know, you know. And, and he's like, and so we were walking at home, you know, the 10 steps or whatever. And he says, Rob, because he's like the only person that calls me that, he say, Rob, people that break up have a tendency to get back together. And I'm like, oh, no way. You, see, you hear that? What he said, what she said, that thing's over. Two weeks later, Mike and, you know, this other person get back together and Medusa. They, they, get, they get back together. Um, and, and, you know, Mike and I didn't really talk much after that. Um, and, and I'm telling you that it's like it, there's, just, there's the right word at the right time, and then there's the wrong word at the wrong time. And listen, the differences are huge. The Bible tells us this in Proverbs ten nineteen. It says, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. That's why I say sometimes not saying anything is more powerful than saying something. So I want to do the evaluation. Where are you in this list? Are you number one? You're always, you know, smart with your words or you're, uh, you know, you're, you're a 10 on that. Or are you uh, or are you on the other end of the spectrum that when you're not around, people tell stories about the crazy things that you say at the wrong time. So. Now, I want you to look at verses 3 and 4, because that's going to give us uh, our, our next point. Now, here's what it says. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. 
See, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. But the but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Here's, here's the third point. The third point is speak good words to each other. Speak good words to each other. That there's always a way to say something good about someone, about a situation. Now, here, here's how it worked for me. Um, I used to be in this Christian band that put out a couple of albums and sold a fairly good amount of copies. In fact, our band broke up um, about 13 years ago. I mean, believe it or not, um, back when I was young. And uh, they broke up. Our band broke up like 13 years ago. And um, there's actually still like people building like fan websites and all that, which is fairly odd. But anyway, they like it. And um, so there's like these tribute sites. Well, anyway, this guy one day, this is back in about 1995 when our band's still together. He calls us up and he says, um, I would like to drive. I'm in a band and I would like to drive down to south florida and have you guys listen to our demo you know we put like three or four songs on a demo and i'd love for you to listen to it so this guy drives from somewhere in like northern florida six seven hours and uh, we i give him the address to my apartment he shows up at my apartment and the buddy my buddy who was a singer uh was there and so we waited for the guy and we say hey, we'll just go to lunch or whatnot so um he gets there tell you know says hey my name is my band is blah 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 and we say, all right, well, let's hop in the car. We'll go to lunch, and we'll listen to the band, you know, uh, in the car. So we grab the tape and put it in the tape deck. Now, you may not know this, but there used to be these little things that were square that were called tapes, cassettes, uh, other people called them now. You may not I know several of you don't even have heard of those things. And I just encourage you to go to Wikipedia. They may have a picture of one. Um, and so, anyway, so we put the tape in, the cassette in, and, um, and what I heard, I'm not even kidding, was the worst music I've ever heard in my life. I mean, it was bad. I mean, and I've heard Lady Gaga, and this was even like a hundred times worse. I mean, this was horrendous music, right? And so, this was so, this was like just the craziest stuff. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, now mind you, I'm driving, and the singer, my friend, he, he's in the front seat, the guy in the van is in the back seat. We're not even looking at each other. Because we know that if we look at each other, we're going to die laughing. And I'm like, so I'm like this. Taco Bell, where are you? You know, because we've got to get out of there and then I've got to find something else to laugh at so I can just, you know. Anyway, so, so anyway, so the whole thing is, and I'm just praying and I'm saying, God, this guy drove for hours to hear our opinion. I've got to say something good, but there's nothing here. Like, I don't even know if these guitars are, in, are tuned. You know, well, anyway, we, uh, the guy, our, our singer, he says... Um, he he has he says, "Hey, what did you how did you guys record this?" And the guy says, "Oh, we rec- we have a four track recorder, which is like this little compact way to to record bands and music and instruments and all that." And when I heard that, I'm like, "Oh, thank you, Jesus!" And so um, he says, "Oh, we recorded on a four track," and I'm like, "This is the best four track recording I've ever heard." This, I mean, tell me more about this four-track that you use. Oh, well, it's a Tascam four-track, and this guy's... And I'm like, oh, did you guys use a drum machine? Did you record the live drums? And I just start talking. For the next 90 minutes, I made whatever conversation I could about a four-track recorder that I could. And all I kept saying was, and it really was a good recording for a four-track. Unfortunately, it actually recorded their music. That was the downside, um, because I could actually hear it. And um, But I'm telling you... So what happens, so I just talk about, man, this four track you bought, what a great investment. You're very wise with your money. You know, tell me, let's talk more about that. Well, what about the band? Let's talk about that recorder. And so we kind of, now the thing is this, and this is the part that I, you know, we were struggling with was, do we want to, 
say something that's going to like break the guy's spirit, or are we going to speak, hopefully speak some good words to him that might encourage him um, to maybe take it to, to, to another level? And um, the, the, the proverb, the Proverbs 1820, it's in your notes. Um, it says this, it says, make your words good. You will be glad you did. Uh, you may want to write this down. This is Bob 1-1, right? This is my proverb. Make your words sweet because you may have to eat them. All right? So here's what happens. Now, this is why I say that. Um, but two years later, that guy in that band and another guy in his band, the band breaks up, but those two guys in that band start another band. Well, that band ends up signing with a pretty prominent Christian label, and the band is actually amazing. Uh, they were really, really good. They, start, they sold more records than we did with the two or three albums they put out. And um, we, I actually drove up to Fort Lauderdale one time to see them. Me and my buddy, who were in the car, the two of us, drive to see their band. We go backstage in, in the band, and so we're talking to them and the other band members. And he reminds me of the story of when he came down to see us. Oh, you still have that apartment? No, and blah, blah, blah. And so we're talking, and he's like, man, I just want to tell you that how much it meant to me that you would spend that time with me. I'm like, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. And he says, no, but, you know, you just made me feel like I could do this. And so when we started this this other band, I mean, I was so encouraged and, and just... You know, I mean, I, we didn't really talk about the band, and I, and I know the band was horrible now, and I'm like, thank you, God. You know, the truth comes out. And so, but he says, he goes, but you know, you helped us so much, you know, because you just encouraged us. And I'm telling you that this is like, you know, one of the few times that I just like, I just shut up. Because I'm telling you, the thing I struggle with is like, when I see a joke, I have to tell it. You know, and that's why sometimes, even here, like, I'll say something, and I'm like, well, Okay, you know, and I just because I just I just feel it coming on, you know, and I got I got to control it. And, and so and so but that's what happened. I just, you know, like when you hear a band that bad, there's just like thousands of jokes upon jokes that just come. And, and I just got to hold it in. And it was one of the few times that I did. And um, and it was a really cool thing that, you know, the band and the opening band were there and they were just talking about the two of us and the difference that our band made in their lives. And, and, and it just it reminded me of this Proverbs in Proverbs 325. Here's what it says. Wise people will receive honor, but fools will be disgraced. And here's the thing that's so important. You see, it's not sometimes not even just the words that you use. Sometimes it's the tones that you use that actually end up defining the words. And let me let me let me say what that means. I mean, four words, right? Can you help me? Four words. What does that mean? If I just say, "Hey, can you help me?" Well, that that means something. But if I say, "Can you help me?" Well, that means something else. If I say, "Can you help me?" Well, that now says something else. But now if your wife shows up and she's wearing something kind of revealing and she says, can you help me? <laughs> well, you know what that means. You're about to find out what Victoria's Secret actually is. You know, and, uh, and so well, it means something totally different. And listen, the tone in which you use has now, have now defined the words. Now, let me, let me give it to you in a biblical illustration. Um, in Genesis chapter 3, three words. Adam sins. He falls, Adam and Eve, they, they, they sin, they fall in the garden, and now they hide themselves, they sew fig leaves together to cover up their shame and their nakedness. And here's what God says, three words, where are you? And I'm telling you, this is so important because the tone in which you believe that those words are spoken in say more about what you believe God is like than you may realize. And so, what, how did God say those words? You see, if you believe that God saw that Adam had fallen in the garden, that he had sinned, and then he says, Adam, where are you? 
It says something about what you believe God to be. That God is this angry taskmaster who's just waiting for you to mess up so that he can pounce on you and punish you somehow. Or, God who knows the end from the beginning, the Bible says, who knows this in Psalm 103, and knows, the Bible says that he has pity on us because he knows that we're just dust. That he pities us like a father pities his children. And if you have that understanding, then you look on at those three words where, man, where Adam has made this decision and he has no idea now the ramifications of that. And he, the Bible says that he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day and then he says this, Adam, where are you? Where are you? It's the voice of a loving father who says, Adam, come on out because I've got to share some things with you. But even after all of this, I want you to know that I love you and I'm still with you. You see, it's hugely important for us to understand that, that it's not just the words in which we speak, but it's the tone in which the words are spoken because those words define, the tone of the words define the words and the phrases themselves. Hugely important. You see, it's not, that's why sometimes we'll, we'll get into an argument with someone and here's what we'll say. No, but I just said this. And then they'll say this, listen, but that's not how you said it. It's where are you all over again. You see, because their definition of who you are is being defined by the tones in which you use. And that's why the principle is to speak good words to each other. That the Bible tells us this, that wise people receive honor, but fools will be disgraced. So on a scale of 1 to 10, do you speak good words? I mean, are you a 10? Are you always encouraging people, always speaking good words? Or are you, you're, are you someone who's known for always cutting people down and always making people feel bad? I mean, that's, that's the other extreme. I mean, where, where, where are we there? And then lastly, I want to share this with you quickly. Verse 23. It says this. It says, a wise man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a good word spoken in due season. How good it is. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. How good it is. What is he saying? You're saying the right thing at the right time. And here's number four is that we speak the truth in love. That we speak the truth in love. Now, let me ask you this question real quick. Um, how many of you have watched American Idol at some point in time? You don't have to be like have a tattoo of American Idol, but you've watched it at some point in time. Okay, most of us. Now, how many of you, if I can ask you this, how many of you think that Simon Cowell is right most of the time of his assessment? But just about the same number, yeah. Some, somebody's got two hands up. All right. I really believe he's right. All right I, I agree. I think about 90% of the time, Simon is right. But yet, and most of us would believe that he's right, and yet almost, almost everybody hates him. This is not interesting. We all believe that he's right, but nobody can stand him. But why is that? It's because he doesn't practice this, that he speaks truth, but he doesn't speak it in love. In fact, I believe Simon Cowell's philosophy is say what you mean and say it mean. Um, and so, but the, so the idea is, it, you know, if, if you're someone, and my, I understand, you don't really care what these people think. There's a bunch of kids. He's a gazillionaire, and he's going to say what he wants because it has no effect on him. But see, the, the issue is this, is that if, when, when there's someone that you care about, you want to make sure that you're saying the words, but that you're saying them in a way that, that matters. 
I believe that the ability to speak the truth in love is one of the most important traits of a person who's wise with their mouth. The Bible tells us this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. It says, uh, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. This, how important it is to speak the truth in love. If we're going to be effective in communicating with someone, it's not just that we speak truth. It's not just that we speak loving, but we speak truth, that we speak the truth in love. Why? Let me give you these two fill-ins real quick, because truth without love is brutality. Truth without love is brutality. I told you, the Simon Cowell approach to criticism. But the, the, the thing is this. If you're in a relationship with a person like that, who's always correcting you, always cutting you down, always saying stuff like that, listen, no one can survive in a relationship like that for very long. And people who are like that, this is what they say, well, I just call them like I see them. Well, I'm going to call it your jerk. That's the problem. Um, well, you know, but I'm, I do it for the Lord. All right, you're a jerk for Jesus. I'll give you that. Um, you know, but well, what's the deal? Well, the deal is, is that if you care about someone, you will care enough to be able to choose the right words in a way that builds them up but doesn't tear them down. Because when you speak the truth without love, what you're trying to do is be right. When you speak the truth in love, what you're trying to do is help the person grow to the next level in, in their relationship with God and in, and in their lives. In the, in the second way, love without truth, number two, is hypocrisy. Now, I don't mean to sound offensive, but I, I mean, think about it. That's more like the Paula Abdul approach. Now, I'm not saying that she's saying this hypocritically, but we've all watched it, and here's what most of us have. The, you know, we get frustrated because she never said anything that was of real value. It was always, you know, it was like somebody just sang and sounded like a goat on stage, and, and then she would say, but you look beautiful tonight. Yeah, but this isn't a modeling thing, you know. And so somebody would look bad, you know, sing bad and look bad, and, we'd say, and she would say, but I appreciate your confidence. You know, and, and, and then, you know, so what's the problem? The problem is this, is that if I just love without truth, I can't ever help the person grow. You see, the whole thing, sometimes when we talk about speaking the truth in love, we miss the second half of the verse and realize why the verse is there and why we speak the truth in love. He says, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. We speak the truth in love, and when we do, if we say the truth and we say it in the right way, what will happen is, is that this person will now grow in their relationship with God, and we will grow in our relationship with God by being able to communicate and use words the way that they're supposed to be used, to build up instead of to destroy. It makes all the difference. But the way to do that is this. This is the last verse in your outline, in James chapter 3. It says this, but wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others, full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. I want you to think about that for a minute. If someone came to you because you had made a mistake you didn't realize, but they spoke words that were pure, peace-loving, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good deeds, and they didn't have favoritism or insincerity, would we listen? Of course. Because that's real wisdom from above. But the key is, is that if someone says something to us and they're trying to just tear us down to make them feel better, well, that's impure. That's not wisdom from above. And so when, when, when we're getting ready to, to, to speak into somebody's life, if we would just stop for a moment, think before we speak, and say, and say I'm going to use smart words, and then speak good words to others, but maybe speak the truth in love, then the key is this. I, I work through this list and saying, are my motives pure? Am I, and what I'm saying, is, is it really the right way to say it? Am I carefully choosing the right words? 
That's one of the things, that's, we don't have time to talk about this, but in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, same Solomon writing, he says this, he says, the teacher carefully selected the right words. If you're going to be able to speak the truth and love to someone, you've got to select the right words. Because like I said, what's wrong with you and what's troubling you are miles apart, even though we meant to say the same thing. Because when we speak the truth in love, the difference, the result, is spiritual growth for them and for us. I want you to think about this for a minute and how God is the perfect illustration of this. Here's, here's our dilemma. Here's God's dilemma in communicating with us. We have all fallen short of God's standards. That's what the Bible says. We've all fallen short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3. And that means that if we've fallen short, that we're separated from God. And that we actually can be separated from God for eternity. And so that's a tough pill to swallow. No doubt that we've all made mistakes and that those mistakes separate us from God. That's the truth. But yet, speaking the truth in love is what the gospel is. That not only has that happened, but that Jesus came into this world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and now offers us life, offers us peace, offers us eternity, forgiveness freely. And whatever it is that we lack, he makes up the lack. And he says, now, I realize kind of what's what's happened here, and I realize that that's a hard truth, but I'm going to share it in a loving way so that you understand how much I love you. You see, when you speak the truth in love, the other person recognizes, I know that this was hard to say. And I love you more for actually saying it. Because it would have been easier to say nothing. But instead, you care so much about me that you spoke the words. Because I know that you want things to get better for me. And when you, and when you say it the right way, here's what happens. We both grow. We grow in our relationship with God. And we're both drawn closer to him. Let's pray together. And God, we want to thank you so much for that truth, for that reality. And I just pray that we would be a people that think before we speak, that speak the truth in love, that use good words with each other and are smart with the words that we, that we choose. All for the purpose of us growing more like Christ, to be more like your son, that others might be drawn near to the Savior Jesus who loves us so much. In Jesus' name, amen.